This episode of the RPG Academy podcast is brought to you by Fifth Epoch Publishing, the company where reality meets fantasy. Fifth Epoch Publishing is happy to announce that this year's newest publication will be the Vampire's Codex role-playing game, which will bring an exciting new twist to the horror genre. There's also a number of other new releases for some of its other games, including their first fantasy RPG, Metal Magic and Lore, which continues to gain fandom across the U.S., as well as Box Battles Cold War Evolution, which is 5th Epoch Publishing's 6MM Miniatures War Game set in the 1970s Cold War, which has been well-received by new and old collectors since release. If you would like more information about any of these products or release dates, please go to 5thepochpublishing.com, that's the number 5, thepochpublishing.com, and there will be links to this in the show notes. We'd like to thank 5th Epoch Publishing once again for sponsoring this episode. And now, on to the show. Uh, and again, there's usually about a five second delay i've yet mm-hmm. to actually count it down so i just sort of talk <laughs> randomly until i assume hey we must be live <laughs> hello and welcome to the rpg academy podcast i am michael tonight and we're I... doing another detention uh live and i have a special guest with me it's justin from crit academy justin welcome to our show hey thanks for having me today mike i appreciate it absolutely michael or mike uh michael mike hey you fatty dummy whatever <laughs> i'll answer to any of it I'm, okay. I'm married, so I'm used to being called many, many names. <laughs> so for anyone who isn't familiar with your show, give us the, the rundown. What is Crit Academy? Why should we check it out? Um, our show is a weekly Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast. Um, we created the show to provide guidance to our listeners and deliver inspiration and provide new and reusable material for not only players but DMs as well. Uh, our end game goal is at the end of every episode, our, we deliver hopefully creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure that spans from our let's talk about blank segment which is all about user and listener submitted questions or topics they want us to discuss uh our main topic um changes every single week but uh as of right now we're actually we do a what what our our listeners love is called a class analysis, which is we basically go through the book step by step of each class, and instead of focusing on heavy on the mechanics of the abilities, we focus on how could we how do we envision each of these abilities working and functioning to give them a very unique flavor uh, every time we play, and then we close it out with our unearth tips and tricks, which where we deliver a a monster variant every episode, a player tip, a DM tip. Uh, encounter idea, a character concept, and a magic item okay. every episode. Sorry, that's long-winded. <laughs> no, that's all right. I asked the question. I can't get the with the answer. Uh, so. so how long have you guys been running? Because I know I've seen your logo for well over a year now, I think. Right, right. Um, we started in 2007, 2016, um, the end of 2016, uh, in December, I think. And we've been, we just did our one year anniversary in Christmas time. So oh, you're still and, a baby. Oh yeah. We're, we're, we're babies. But <laughs> it, honestly, in spite of that, we're, we saw so much growth that that makes me really happy and it pushes us to really want to continue to, to do the show. And that really uh, helps. Plus who doesn't love talking D and D buddies once a week, you know, I mean, you're already doing it anyways. You're just recording it now. 
<laughs> right, right. That does put a little bit more work on uh, on me, but uh, I enjoy it enough that I don't have a problem doing that. So as long as somebody's willing to listen, I'm willing to talk. Fantastic. <laughs> well, again, welcome once again to our show. Uh, we you. like to always start out with our first segment of, what are you drinking tonight, Justin? I'm drinking healthy old nectar of the gods, water. <laughs> me as well. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking from my commemorative Batman versus Superman cup. Uh, but oh, yeah, that's cool. But H two O in it up, uh, <laughs> trying trying to be healthy a little bit. Uh, just uh, pretty much water. Actually, I got sick recently, which seems to be happening to me a lot now. I got kids, those little germaphobe <laughs> germ housing things. Don't wash uh, their hands. Yeah, pretty much. And they're always with other kids who are also gross. And um, <laughs> I have a I have a rule that I've always lived by that I don't diet when I'm sick because I already feel like okay. crap. So right, I mean, right. like, why would I not treat myself? Even though what, what's weird about that is that usually when you're sick, your taste buds are a little bit bland. Right. So even though I'm eating foods that I want, I can't really taste them. I'll taste like cardboard anyway. So it's the time I should be dieting, but I don't. But I just got over that. So I've been off the sodas for a few days now, back to water. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully get back on the train pretty quickly because I get caffeine headaches because I oh, drink a lot okay. of sodas and then I just stop dead. And that sucks. Yeah. My, my wife loves her soda. She has the, she ever heard of Surge? Uh, it's this, it's this, it was discontinued for like 10, 12 years. And, you know, they, they kept pushing and pushing and all the lovers finally got them to make it. And the can is significantly larger than a regular soda and has a bunch of caffeine in it. It's basically a soda energy drink. And my wife likes to down those things and I don't know how she can do it. (laughs) Just like, no thanks. Yeah. My drink of choice when I'm uh, gaming and off the diet is L81. I've talked about that several times. It's a, it's a, Small ginger ale type, sweet ginger ale. It's only made mm-hmm. in one bottling plant in Kentucky. It's a tiny little thing, but I love them, and they're very full of caffeine. So that same thing. <laughs> so we had a couple of people jump on. Uh, New York Tater says hello, and he's I said that his two favorite podcasters. So oh, awesome! He's excited to see you. And Targris says hello and mentioned something about a cute animal behind you. I, I don't think he means the art. Um, oh my yeah i have a i have a i have a rabbit i have a cute her uh i got a black little rabbit named yuki shira which means snow white apparently apparently so you didn't know what you named her when you named her uh well they my wife and her sister were that was all them it's just like what do you think of this i'm like it's a rabbit whatever okay (laughs) it's not like i'm gonna be calling it to me you know i thought it might be one of those situations where like you thought it was something else but then all the people (laughs) who actually knew were making fun of you behind your back wouldn't be the first time yeah very, very cool. So, again, this is Detention. This is kind of our weekly – well, now it's not even weekly. It's more like monthly. Just sort of talk show. We talk about a bunch of different stuff. Uh, we've already done what are you drinking, so we'll move into our first real topic, and that's extracurricular. So what have you been up to last couple of weeks? What's been on your mind? Movies, TV shows, anything uh, you're up to you want to share? Oh, yes. Um, there's a lot that is always on my mind, a lot of stuff I'm doing. Um Stuff not really related to the show. I've been. I just got uh, a new game called Monster Hunter Online. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had it for three weeks, and I've put maybe three, four hours into it. So not as much as I'd like, but uh, I'm super impressed with it. And I think that I don't know if you you play games like that or not. But I, I just um, started getting back into video games, but I have not played that. Yeah, it, it, it's really cool because it's not just the, the go here and, and, and slay the monster. It's more of, okay, you have to now find this monster. And then when you find it, 
you beat it up a little bit and it runs away and you have to track it all over again. <laughs> and if you like take too long, like giant other monsters come and just eat it and take it. So now you got to start your hunt all over because, you know, natural selection kind of uh, plays a lot into that, into gotcha. that game. And it's a lot of fun. Um, I actually, have you, uh, do you use DMs Guild at all? Have you, you've been there for adventures or anything? No, I, I know of it, uh, obviously, but I've not submitted anything and I don't think I've bought anything off of it. Yeah, I just uh, collaborated with 45 other um, writers to do uh, mo uh, Monsters of the Guild. That'll be coming out in March, so I'm really excited about oh, that. It's cool. the first time that I've really had my content uh, published in anything, mm -hmm. at least that I'll get a royalty from, so that's, that's pretty <laughs> exciting. Not much, but uh, that's kind of uh, what's been going on late, lately. Um, and Black Panther was awesome, if you haven't seen it really good yeah. i recommend it uh i i watched that recently i i'm in that i'm in that weird situation because everyone talks about how much they love it and i certainly liked it i mean i'm in the bag for marvel movies anyways right right but i didn't love it i liked it okay. i definitely will see it again it was enjoyable but mm -hmm. it didn't quite just resonate with me like it seems to be with a whole lot of other people yeah i don't know why yet uh sometimes and this actually happens a lot um when i see the movie the first time especially when it's been hyped up I kind of go in with these expectations. So usually I watch a movie twice before I even really give a solid opinion. Right, right. So I probably need to do that before I weigh in too much. I actually used to have a podcast with a buddy of mine. We ran it for about a year called We Saw It Twice. And, it was, and the, the <laughs> whole thing cool. was that we would only watch, we only talk about movies after we have seen them at least twice. Because so many times I listen to podcasters that review movies. I'm like, you totally missed that. Like you, you didn't quite get what was happening. So we would always want to watch it twice so that we wouldn't have at least as many of those like obvious misunderstandings side of situations. But right, right. But yeah, that's kind of my thing. But uh, I've been tweeting all about it, but I have fallen in love with the magicians. Oh, uh, yes. That's a good. That's, oh my a good God. that's the Netflix one. right? Yeah, I knew nothing about it. Uh, again, I, I told you I was sick recently and I was I knew I was just going to come home and go to bed for a weekend. So I, I tweeted out like, hey, you know, I'm going to be in bed literally for like 72 hours straight. I need something to watch. And a couple people whose opinions I respect said, watch Magicians. So I gave it a try and I'm hooked. I, yes. I've watched now both seasons on Netflix. I've caught up with the current season. I've started over on Netflix. I found a podcast I like that I've listened to every episode they have out and I ordered the books. So I am a hundred percent all in on this. I think it's amazing. Yes. I, I like the, um, I haven't finished it yet. Uh, mostly because I keep running out of time, but I do like the dynamic that they're taking, especially with the, the, the main character and his sister. Um, you get to watch these two people who have very similar beliefs start to go the different directions. And to me, that's, that's one of the, the neatest things about any story is when you can have people who come from, for the most part, similar circumstances, but have completely different views of how they perceive the world and how it impacts their story going forward. Mm. And I think that that show particularly does it really, really well. So I'm confused. I don't I don't know of a brother sister on the show. Um, isn't that uh, on the, magi the magicians? Isn't that the uh, the the main character? Isn't that his sister that kind of turns to the dark side? No, they're they're not brother and sister. They were childhood best friends. Oh, okay, uh, so well then I Quentin okay, so and that's Julia. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, okay. I those two characters that I'm talking about. Okay. But yes, okay, yes, yeah. But they uh, both were very similar, and they they were surrounded, you know, with each other and the same outlooks. But then to go different directions. Um, 
it's very interesting, and I, I personally get a lot out of that. Now, I haven't completed the series, so I can't speak to the rest of it, but um, what I have seen has been really cool. And just the, the magic and how they incorporate it in the world's very got a very Harry Potter kind of thing going on. Yeah, and as weird as this is going to sound, the fact that they curse a lot somehow connects with me. And I, and the thing is, I don't necessarily curse a whole lot, but I, you know, I don't really have any issues with it. I'll drop an F bomb, you know, like a period, <laughs> but I've, I sort, sort of like it, you watch a lot of other shows and they're in these really intense situations. It's like life or death. Maybe they're shooting zombies in the head and no one says F <laughs> you would say F in that situation. <laughs> and there's a part of me that's always like, this is our, these are actors because clearly yeah. they would be saying other things here. They wouldn't yes. be saying frack or shoot or shucks. And so the fact shucks. that they, this show will just go for it and they're just, they, they just speaking like casual, normal people. I'm just like, I don't know. It, it's it's as weird real, as it is. Right? I do like that. <laughs> yes. Um, I think I kind of think you're on point and I don't know what your show rating is. I know ours is explicit because generally I can't go 10 seconds without saying something I probably shouldn't, but uh, not just for swear words, but for other things, other things. But um, I, I totally get where you're saying that when you, when you see heroes or adventurers or movie, movie actors in these scenes where you know that if you were in that same, you would be just a string of curse words. You're just like, Maybe I need to just be an actor and be better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Targris has weighed in that uh, he is loved. He watches it and loves it as well, but he's only watched the first season. I actually mm -hmm. think the first season is weak compared to the second really? season. I liked it. It got me hooked onto the characters, but I didn't think it was as good. I definitely thought it got better in the second season. So if you like the first season, I will s assume that you will like the others. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other shows I, I really like is Supernatural. Oh God, yes! I love that show, and uh, one of my favorite things about it—well, I should. Well, that, that's a weird way of saying it, but one of the, the things that I've enjoyed is the episodes with the ghost facers. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an episode I think it's like around season three or four, somewhere in there, and they're on a, they're on ghost facers, and then we see the show from the ghost facers uh, viewpoint, and Sam and Dean are cursing like crazy. But they're all bleeped out because they're they're on this this other show, mm -hmm. so it's it's just that sort of realization that like that's what they really talk like, but they can bleep it out here, but they can't really do that on the real show, so they never say those things, and it just right, it right. makes me giggle a little bit every time I'm thinking they would be saying bad words right, <laughs> right now. Right, so, right. I don't know. Maybe I'm a twelve year old still at heart. Uh, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, so yeah. I uh my the, honestly I'm gonna be honest my favorite reason for loving Supernatural isn't because the show's so good because it, is, it gives me such a plethora of inspiration mm. for not only my show but for my D and D games um and that's why I like that and Grim if you haven't seen Grim it's uh in my opinion it's 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 right up there for uh, giving you ideas I've heard um, good things about Grim it just it never fell into my lap and I never really sought it out is it still on is or is it um, like I, a... it ended after season. Don't don't call me from maybe season four. Okay. Um, and it was really cool. I don't know if you know the premise, but it's like all those those fairy tales you hear are true, and you know these these people have an inner beast inside of them that they can like almost like a werewolf can just change into uh, uh, freely. Okay. And most people can't see this this vogue that they do, and only Grimm's can. So Grimm's are were these these line of family who sole goal is to hunt these monsters down and stop them. 
Um, so it was, I really enjoyed it. It got kind of crazy in some parts, but I enjoyed it all the way through the entire series. And I, I do recommend that if you haven't seen uh, Grimm, it's really good. All right. Well, I've, I've caught up with magicians now. I'm a hundred percent caught up. So, <laughs> so I might be looking for something else to fill some time as well. Right, right. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. So let's move into the show as well. Um, again, I'm trying to read chat as we go here. Um, so the next thing we talk about, uh, or actually the, ne- the next game we play is 10 things. I, it's been a while since we've done detention. I'm a little bit off my, off my game here. Uh, so we're going to do 10 things, which 10 things is an improv style game where we give each other a prompt for 10 of something. You try to do them as quickly as possible. Accuracy is not as important as immediacy. Uh, you are the guest. Would you like to receive a prompt first or give the prompt first? Um, how about I receive the prompt first? Okay. That way, that way, by the time you're done, everyone forgets how poorly I did. <laughs> Strat- strategery. I like that. <laughs> um, I always kind of like to try to tie my 10 things into something about the show we've already talked about. So you know how in like some movies they will just change the word? So like they'll say uh, Monday, Friday instead of Mother or something <laughs> like that. I yes. want your 10 best fill-in fake curse words. Oh no. Okay. Um funky butt loving. <laughs> One. Uh oh. Uh, Mother Cruncher. Two. Uh Fudge. Three. <laughs> uh Chester's coconuts. Four. Uh by by Zeus's beard. Five. <laughs> um Ah, oh, Hades. Six. Mother Fracker. Seven. It works. Uh, oh, man. This is so much harder when I got to do it. Um, Three more. I, uh, I'm trying to think of curse words and um, in supplements for them. Uh, oh. Uh, son of a goblin. <laughs> Eight. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, drag, dragon's testes. Sure. Nine. <laughs> Works. One more. Uh, Bring it home. Uh, by the king's coconuts. By the king's coconuts. That would be ten. Those <laughs> were ten things. New York Tater tried to help you out. He said peanut butter. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. <laughs> All right. Uh, hopefully there wasn't too much dead air there. That is a lot harder than you would think it would be. It, when you're actually in the moment, and uh, and here's a, a little tip I'll give you, that when I do the audio-only version of this, I always cut out some of my dead air so it sounds like I'm better at it than I really am. <laughs> Cheater, I've yep. done that. I, I can't do it on the live show like this, but when you if you hear the audio-only, I'm I'm really on it. <laughs> Targus says he might steal son of a goblin. He's son of a goblin. <laughs> um so ten so you like to relate it to some topic we've already talked about. I try. There is no rule that you have to do that. Uh, it's just something I like to do. Okay. How about this? Ten spells wizards have but never use. Oh. Or magicians have but never use. Okay. Uh, oh man. Um, oh my God. That should be so easy, but it's hard. See, it's, when I edit this, this will sound like I knew what I was talking about. Uh, He's gonna go nice free flow. I didn't. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll know all of them. Bam, bam, bam. Um, 
It's a, a candle extinguishing spell that requires you to spray water. <laughs> One. <laughs> uh, a door opening spell that co- that requires you to be touching the doorknob. Two. Uh, fireball that's only at a zero range. <laughs> Three. Um, grease, but it's sticky. <laughs> Four. Um, summon Cthulhu. Five. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one yeah um uh flock of doves six uh reverse wish seven uh astral projection but you can only go backwards okay eight um suffocate self <laughs> nine autoerotic asphyxiation <laughs> Yay! Um, when you said the doves, I'm just thinking, man, as a wizard, like every time I walk through a door, a flutter of doves would come out. Yep. <laughs> nice. Oh, that was really good. It took me a while to get started, but yeah, that, that was a good one. I like that one a lot. All right, so let's move into kind of the meat of the show. This is where we usually spend the most of the time. It's called Used Books. Mm-hmm. And the idea here is that we're going to take a look back at a campaign that we have played in or ran and Perhaps it failed spectacularly. And is there anything we can learn from that? Like the looking for the notes in the margin of a used book. So mm-hmm. you're the guest tonight, Justin. Do you have a campaign that you want to talk about? Uh, yes. Um, it was my, oh, so what pushed me into being my, being the DM, which is the, 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 the hat that I wear by far the most now. And I have no problem with that. I love doing it. It was in, uh, my buddy used to always run our games for us, and then he ended up moving away for a job to work at a Hershey factory. <laughs> so okay. um, we needed a we needed a DM. Uh, so this was in fourth edition. So I'm like, all right, I you know what? I can do that. Why not? What's the worst that What's the worst that can happen? Right? Exactly. What is the worst that can happen? Someone <laughs> found out. Summon Cthulhu. Yeah. Uh, I did find out uh, what is the worst that could happen. So <laughs> <laughs> at the time, I was reading uh, 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 a. I don't think it was a trailer. I think it was just two piece book and it had this um, idea that there were these powerful uh, dragon eye wizards that were in the world. They were the, the, the most powerful beings at this point in, in existence. Uh, I guess the equivalent of gods, if you wanted to call them that. Okay. And I was like, man, this is cool. I'm going to build a world around this. That wasn't a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I first thought, I was like, all right, well, these guys will be like the highest level. I think that was level, level 30 in, 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 in fourth edition. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, so I, I got to so. build the most powerful wizards I can that each follow, uh, the sign of the Zodiac, which is what the dragon eyes did. You had like the, the rat dragon eye and the, 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 the goat dragon eye or the dragon, I think they called it the mirror dragon. So they had, you know, all these based on the, um, based on the Chinese Zodiac. And I'm like, all right, so these are, this is going to take place of all my gods. These are, these are my gods. They're real people, but people worship them like gods and that power gets continually passed on. So I'm like, all right, we're going to run this adventure. We're going to, we're going to run this campaign. I didn't realize how much work it was going to be to actually try to re-explain everything that I changed. Um, that was, that was hard <laughs> because when I'm just picking, picking up DMing. So I'm thinking that, well, if I just tell them this is what it is, but as we're going through the game, I'm learning that um, everything that I didn't think about is every question that they have. Yeah. So I had to start like keeping a log of their questions and then going back and answering all those questions. Okay. Um, which for me was, was, was overwhelming. Uh, so we got to a point where, uh, 
I decided that, well, these people are powerful. People crave power, right? I mean, if, if you're strong, people want that power, right? So if these dragon eyes are real and their power gets passed on, there's going to be people who want to, to try to acquire that power. Mm-hmm. Um, so it led to an interesting idea that these, these dragon eyes would wage war on each other occasionally to steal power. They raise armies and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, all right, I'm level three. You guys are starting a mass combat. There's this big war going down. Everyone's assaulting the rat dragon eyes, a uh, uh, giant floating castle. We just started first time DMing. Bad idea. Um, <laughs> at least, at least from my perspective, was um, not a good idea. Um, I didn't have a full understanding of the rules, and our combat. Um, f- I, have you played 4E or a lot yeah. of 4E? At all? Yeah, I played um, quite a lot of it. When it it's first very, came out. yeah, it's very much uh, board game, board board driven, right? You have to have like minis and, 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 and all this stuff more so than than any of the other editions, in my opinion. So because I didn't really fully understand mass combat rules and how to do it, I had this real cluster goblin of <laughs> of mistakes I was making trying to deal with mass combat. Um, and it wasn't until um, after the, 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 the adventures we had done that I realized that not only was I focusing on the wrong things, I was trying to take this big war and fit it onto a tiny little grid. Um, but because I didn't fully understand the rules, I wasn't letting spells and abilities really affect like they should. And while we, they, they said they had fun, which, Hey, that's great. Um, in my opinion, it's one of my greatest failings as a DM. Uh, it was so poor. It was so long. The combat took forever. And I, I have learned so much about what not to do when running, you know, mass combat. Have you, have you had experience with mass combat at all? I have attempted it a few times and much like what you're saying, every time I've tried it, it has not worked out very well. Like I had the idea that this was going to be this great epic battle and it just, it was just tedious. No one was having fun. I was trying to, you know, evoke this sense of overwhelming dread. Didn't really go through. It was just very, very boring. So the one time that I was somewhat successful was actually part of the Made Men, which is a very first campaign series that we did. And I reached out to a friend of mine who was in the military, and he's more of a war buff. And I said, I want, I don't want to run mass combat, but I want my players to feel like they're in the middle of a right. mass combat. And he gave me some advice on how to do that. And I think I did a pretty decent job. So all that I had happen was just basically all this stuff was happening around them. They only had to deal with a little bit, like, you know, like the one or two mooks that would come out of the crowd and fight them specifically. But there was all this stuff that was happening around them. And that was a lot easier for me to manage. I could tell my interesting, evocative descriptions. But when it came time to roll dice, they were still only rolling against one or two people. They really weren't doing mass combat. They were in the middle of one. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've talked about on the show, kind of like, I guess what I will try next time uh, was to break down like a squad, almost like an NPC. So I would just have an NPC sheet that was, you know, maybe it's 20, 20 people or a thousand people, whatever. And then if the PCs are in that squad, that affects that NPC. So maybe they get a plus two damage. Maybe they get a higher armor class. Maybe they get a spell resistance. But I'm still only rolling one thing against one thing right. and then applying the results as if it was a mass battle. Yeah. And, 
I actually agree that's a really great way to do it. We finally, uh, when I made the uh, change to 5th edition, I decided that my approach would be a little bit differently, different. And actually, I've changed that approach since then uh, after we aired an episode where we had a guest on from uh, Game Master Stash um, in discussing mass combat, where I was still too focused on mass combat being mass combat. Mm-hmm. And so after after that episode, I took a, a, a new a new look that in in exactly what you're saying is that instead of worrying about what everything's going on around around the 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 the, the adventurers instead i need to focus on key points of what kind of uh quest could i give them that could help pull the tide of battle in one army's favor or another as opposed to trying to constantly monitor how each individual platoon was doing or squad or or however contingent however you wanted to break it up so what i ended up doing in the the this is at this point this is the fourth time that i've ran mass combat and what i did this time was all right so i'm going to give uh six six die three die to each side and every time a certain condition was met and i gave my adventure or my my players four um Four different hooks, basically. You can choose one of these hooks. Here's how each one of these hooks is going to, you guys think, will impact it. If you can sweep around here and break into this gate, you'll allow everyone to flank in and, and flood into the city from this way, hopefully taking over the turrets and turning the, the battle uh, or the... I don't want to say turret. They weren't. They were like uh, giant crossbows, siege, siege crossbows. If you guys can take those, you might be able to pull fire off of your allies and focus that fire back on your enemies. So there would be one die for that if they succeeded. So basically near the end, I rolled both armies' dice and whatever one was higher determined the outcome of the war. And each event they did that they succeeded at uh, uh, pulled away a die from the opposing army. And so that meant that the flow of combat is big as it was, was still focused on their actions influencing that combat in some way. And in my opinion, that's the most success that I've had so far. But I still had a lot of mistakes when I did that one too. So I don't think that I'll ever get to the point where I think I've done it perfectly. But as long as I continue to um, progress and learn from the past events that I've ran, each time I run some sort of mass scenario, it will improve. So, so. and I don't mean this in any way negative. That sounds kind of video gamey to me. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that's a positive in this case where you have sort of almost like a like a side quest. Like, you know, you can just go do this. But if you go over here, that will help you, oh, the overall battle. Again, if you're taking care of the turrets, you're opening a door, you're unlocking the, all the prisoners so they all get to run out like in the, mm-hmm. in the last Dragon movie. Um, mm-hmm. Or Enter the Dragon, I guess what it's called. Um, the only thing I could think of, and, and I've, I've dealt with this before, like I want my players to organically create their own goals okay but they rarely do i would agree with that very much (laughs) so i like the idea of saying here's the four things that you know you're in the city it's under attack if you open the gates you know reinforcements can come in if you take care of the turrets it will allow their siege engines to get into position i would want to not do that and just say you're in the city it's under attack what do you want to do and try to give them the opportunity to say, well, why don't we try to open the gates and be like, great. And then when they do that, say, here, I'm going to give you a bonus die and like basically not explain the rules ahead of time. I just know with my, my group, it's probably not going to work and I'm eventually going to have to do that anyway. No, I don't want it to seem like that those are the only options available to them. I found if I don't give hooks, 
we end up in a very stagnant situation yep. where, okay, I want you guys are in battle. What do you want to do? And usually my hooks are given by them talking to uh, a commander or somebody in charge that they think this is what's best, but nothing ever. I never try to say that the player can't say, well, I think this is a better idea. Mm -hmm. And then them do that. Now, that being the case, when I give those up, when they come up with those options, I have no problem rewarding them. But I do find that if I don't at least have several options available presented to them, we get to a thing where the, well, what do you guys want to do? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, I want to, I, well, we could probably do this. Well, maybe we could do that. And it leads into um, sometimes some creative ideas and other times are they're just looking at me waiting for me to throw, you know, the fishing line and, 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 and you know, yeah. bring it in for them to, to hook on to. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's kind of the situation I'm in. So I'm just trying to think, how could you do that? Like, like, so let's, let's take your scenario and, and say we, we have all the time in the world. We're the best DMs in the world. How could we actually present the scenario in a way that it's not obvious what we're doing, but it still gives them guidance so that we don't have that, I don't know what to do until the DM tells me what to do. Uh, so the first thing that I can think of uh, would be either, like as you said, maybe they have a general and there's like a map, and whether it's an actual map or just one you talk about, maybe the general says, you know, I think we can we can do this, but I'm really concerned about these turrets because, you know, two two years ago in the campaign, blah, 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 blah. And so it's not like A and then B, you know, it's like A and then J. So like maybe it's a week later, a different session, you know, maybe two weeks later in the game when they get into the city and you don't necessarily say, you know, the, the turrets are firing, uh -huh. but maybe one of the PCs says, well, you know, if we take care of the turrets, the general said that would be helpful. So do you think there's a way to seed in those hooks that you want them to do without clearly saying what they are like is could you manipulate the players in a way so they do what you want them to do and they don't realize it yes so one approach i took and i'm going to use the the big siege crossbows as an example because um as they were fighting their little minions and going through their little hordes um i described as every round uh equivalent i made it a like a lair action right so every every round this lair action went where it was just these crossbow giant bolts were just mowing people down so it wasn't so much them being told that that needs to be addressed um the players figured out that well we need to stop this because it's mowing down uh, our entire uh entire front line like like a like a minigun um so that was a hook that i had planned for but was fed to them just because i was killing so many things and and honestly it took out a player before they came to that decision mm. but um and unfortunately that player died but uh um sometimes when seeding when trying to uh, set a, a seed i think action in my opinion is better than description if i just describe this thing mowing people down it's one thing but when they when i like i was using dice to to track to track basically population and when they started seeing these things get whittled down and then they started being part of that because as basically i used the <laughs> i used the tiny uh the, the the peons as shield basically and once it got to a certain point they were going to start uh taking fire themselves while they're out doing whatever running around they're trying to do to get everything figured out and so in that situation they came to that conclusion but it still was something i had already planned for as opposed to um saying hey uh you those turrets are gonna be a big problem you probably take care of them mm -hmm. um and i think that's kind of what you're getting at as opposed to just telling them outright delivering right. it in a subtle way that they come to that conclusion themselves 
Um, but the only way, and this might be bad DMing on my part, the only way I can ever really push them to come to their own conclusions is to either have a high intelligence character make a make a intelligence check to determine that and then feed it to them or the player figures it out after another player gets raffle stomped you know <laughs> um but that's at least in, in my experiences but i really like where you're going with that and that instead of just saying the the general saying hey this is what we need to do having them figure it out definitely can make for more engaged uh role play and less uh video gaming like you said yeah so beef griller uh said and this was a joke from from him but it's actually accurate is you tell the players what they can't do and that's what they will do so you know you can't do x (laughs) i'll do x so but, but legitimately i could see that we're being like again maybe you're talking to the general and the general says you know we've got to focus our plan around avoiding those turrets because mm-hmm. we don't have any way of stopping those. Like, there's just nothing in our army. There's nothing in our power. We just have to avoid them. End of story. Will that encourage the players to be like, you know what? I bet we can do it. Mm-hmm. So is that a way to, again, sort of subtly manipulate them into doing what you want them to do by telling them it's not possible to do? It's not a good idea to do. Right, right. Um, you're basically cha- you're, you're issuing a challenge to them subtly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, we're not just saying out you can't do it, but there's an NPC saying you, you can't do that or you shouldn't do right, that. Right, right. Um, the other thing I was thinking would be you set up a scenario where the players are defending the city. And that's something where, like, they can either put these defenses into place or at least they know, okay, you know, we're going to defend the city. We know we can defend it because we have this, this, and this. And then sometime later, you flip the script, and now they're the invading army of that same city. So they help set up the defenses, or they're clearly aware of the city's defenses. Now they're having to fight against them. They're going to know what the best parts of the defense are and maybe that would help them figure out hey you know we always said that these you know these murder holes and these you know tar and drops or whatever would really be hard to fight against we don't want to fight against those so maybe we fix that yeah um i also think that um a a good subtle way to drive the players in a direction you'd want without telling them is make two two events occur simultaneously where they're forced to pick one of the two. Um, for instance, uh, in, in the example that I ran, God, man, it's been so long. I feel so old now. <laughs> um, in the example uh, that I was running before is that um, one of the, they, they had this, this leader who they were following this lady and um, they knew where that area is. Well, when they were trying to uh, take over and uh, create an opening so they can get in and take these siege weapons, the lead, they, they saw in the distance the leader's tent was uh, caught fire and under siege. So they then have to uh, make a decision, finish what they're doing now, or try to address this other thing is what happens if you lose a commander and how is that going to affect the affect the, 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 the entire army as a whole. Now, they don't necessarily know how, if that's a big deal or not, right. but they did have to deal with the, okay, well, if we don't save her, what is the, what is the, the downside to that? Uh, versus if we take out these turrets that are mowing people down. So by presenting multiple events occurring while they're in the middle of one event can also spur them to a direction that you want or at least give them the illusion that now they've got more things that they have to deal with and choices uh, at their uh, choices that um, could affect the outcome of this, this battle. 
Uh, so not another Nathan jumped in and said uh, you could have the PCs as part of a strategy meeting called by NPCs so you can give some of the info, but not everything. So maybe even the NPCs asking, you know, what do you see? What, what, are your, what, what, what do you think we should do? And then so you're not like making a plan. You're just discussing options. Kind of like a little war council that they become a part of yeah. um, and have direct uh, impact in what the, the army does or the military does as a whole, not just their actions as well. So the other thing, too, that um, I know I've seen this in many movies before is where the PCs know that the strategy is flawed for some reason. Mm -hmm. So, like, the general says, nope, we're going to go right down the middle because we know that our battering rams can take down that door and we can pour in. And the PCs know, actually, that the door is reinforced, it's magical, whatever, and no one will listen to them. Mm -hmm. So they're like, everyone's going to die unless we stop it. You know, and then again, you give them, you, they can stop it however they want. They, you know, they might sneak in, they might infiltrate, whatever, but you're not just saying you have to open the door. You're just saying, hey, these guys are going to go kill themselves because they don't know what you know or they don't believe what you believe. Right. And that's an important point, too. Um, when you have uh, a lot of options in front of the players and feeding them additional knowledge, that, that can, help kind of sway them too as well because if they are uh, managed to infiltrate the, this tower and learn a key piece of information that now becomes a priority to get back to to um, the, the the head NPC or the war council or whatever group you're having. Man, I wish I would have known this stuff back when I was running the first time. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the more I think about it, I was like, that, that seems like so obvious now, but it was, it was such a train wreck before. <laughs> um, but having little things like that pushes them to have options, but still your, your guiding hand, you know, kind of nudging them in a direction you want, which, which I know we have to be careful can get kind of railroady. Right. Um, but I think it really comes down to if they don't know that you're guiding them, it's, and it's, they think it's their option. I think it's less of a problem, but um, I do think that, I think you're pretty, pretty spot on with that. Uh, so Beef Griller also mentioned when you're talking about having the two simultaneous events and they kind of have to choose which one to go with, there is some caution to be had because it could turn into a gotcha moment or it could feel like it. So like you have, okay, you got two doors, you have to pick one and they pick one and then it turns out to be terrible either by design or just they don't roll well or make bad decisions. It could feel then like you have put them in a in a situation on purpose to punish them for something like that. I, I can see that happening if it depending on how things are resolved. So I guess in my mind they would have to both have equal weight. So right. the the same sort of negative or positive will happen if you succeed or fail. Either one, it's just a matter of like what's important to your characters. Right. Is one of the PCs in love with the commander? Do they are they do they don't like them? Do they want to be the commander and they secretly are okay with the commander getting killed because they can take over? You right. know, like how does their story impact the decision? But the decision itself isn't going to be – A, it's not really more important than B mechanically, I guess. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So basically if you set up two options, in this case we've got go in and take down the crossbolts or go in protect the, the war council that's burning down, that regardless of what decision they make, making sure that it's not a trap for them, like – 
if okay they decide to go rescue the war council that's that that's burning that now they're all going to get mowed over because they chose not to deal with the crossbolts right, right? is that is that where you're going I mean, with that because there can be consequences and there should oh, be consequences sure. and there should but, be but i just don't think it, it that, to be real point i don't think it should be a situation where either it is or it feels like because of the decision they made without any additional information it it turned out terrible now sure right. they could you know we're going to let the war council die that's their choice. The war cancel is now dead. What does that do? That affects the story. But within the battle itself, I don't. I, I think what he's trying to get to, and I'm, again, if I'm putting words in your mouth, beef grill, or feel free to clarify. Right. If it, if I make it feel like they really need to do one, and they do that, and then I'm like, well, because you didn't do the other thing, your army lost. You know, it's, and I just basically declare, oh, right. you picked the you picked the wrong door. Your entire army was slaughtered. You know, like we didn't really have a chance yeah, to affect that. I hope that nobody would do something like that. I mean, it, I, I am of the belief that every decision that the PCs make should have an outcome. Now, I don't believe in all or nothing, uh, so I generally don't make those. Uh, uh, I don't generally make those sorts of adventures where it's all or nothing. It's you chose to save this person. This person over here died because of your choice, but you saved this person. Or you saved this person over here, and these people died over here because of your choice. Both of those, in my eyes, are equal choices. Um, it all comes down to how it's going to affect the story moving forward and how the PCs themselves are going to react. And to me, as long as you're aware of that, I think, that's less of a pitfall than it would be if you did the oh, you didn't save this now, this person, so now everybody hates you and you can't go there no more or something along those lines. So I, I think the key, what you said there, is the PCs need to understand the the consequences of either option. Right. So if you say, okay, you have to go through door A or you have to go through door B, they pick door A, oh, you didn't know that by not going through door B, you open a gateway to the hell and demons poured out. Right. If you say... You have to go through A or B. If you go through A, you might open a plane to hell. If you go through B, you might cause a war council to get war council to get killed. Now you're making an informed decision. Right. I guess that's what I'm getting at is that you need to know not necessarily what will happen, but what could happen. What are the possible consequences? And I can think of examples when they wouldn't know that and it's okay for them not to know. But I think to, to avoid that gotcha moment would be they need to understand that if you go over here, there's a good chance that, you know, 20% of the army is going to get wiped out by these turrets before you have a chance to do anything else to affect yeah. them. And I actually think that what really cool is that um, this can lead to really good uh, player uh, role play because each player has different motivations and different beliefs and different, you know, reasons for, you know, what is, is one life, you know, sacrificing one life worth, you know, uh, a thousand or whatever. And they're not all going to feel that. So if you put them in the situation where they need to make those decisions and role play out why they think they should do one or another, I think that is some of the best role playing you can get in D and D or any RPG in, yeah. in, in my opinion. So I really like those hard choices. All right. Is there anything else about that campaign or mass combat that you want to pull out? Maybe something we can learn from. Um. Yeah. Don't give. Uh, don't give your players too many choices. <laughs> yes. Um. I uh, when I first started, I, I I really didn't want to be the person that railroaded. And at the time, I didn't like that because nothing against my DM, but that's how he always ran his campaigns, and it didn't matter what I did we were on this train the whole way. And so when I went, I was like, I'm, 
I'm going to do this big adventure, this big campaign. I'm going to give dozens and dozens of quest hooks and all. Don't do that. No, <laughs> that's a bad idea, at least in my experience. And, and I, I ran into issues where I felt like I was doing 10 times the work because now I'm trying to figure out well, what happens if they take this. Okay, I need a little bit for that. What is, what is it? And that's that was a terrible, terrible yeah. design. I'm, I'm three, four max now. There might be people that can do that and more power to them. I I could not. Uh, I also don't enjoy that. Like I, I have decided that I, I kind of like having a few rails on the games that I'm mm-hmm. not necessarily I'm running, but I'm playing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm okay with that. Um, I talked to Hamish once. Um, he was interviewed by Jim McClure on his show. And he's, he said, in, I guess in, he's from New Zealand. They call that the tunnel of fun. So like when you get on a roller coaster, you're on rails, but you still enjoy the ride, right? Right, right. So there isn't anything inherently wrong about having an adventure on rails as long as the PCs and players say, we know what we're in for. We know we're signing up for this roller coaster. We're going to enjoy the ride. So it's okay. And I think when you don't have the conversation or they don't have, they have different expectations, that's when it can lead to problems. Right. And I think that that's the whole reason session zero is a thing. It should be a thing, in my opinion, in every campaign. (laughs) You said the magic word. Well, okay. I must. uh, Anytime anytime we say session zero. Session zero. Take a drink. Um, (laughs) Damn it. Yeah, you can get into a loop if you're not careful. I have some here for that. Um, But anyways, I think that that uh, is important because that's when everyone can say, here's the expectation I have. And like as a DM, what expectation do you have of me? What kind of campaign do you want versus what kind of campaign am I running? And you can meet somewhere in the middle because I'm the type of person that likes to, to have a choice. And sometimes if my character has no reason to do that, and if the whole group's if the whole group's a part, a part of it, hey, you know what? That's fine. Let's do it. Um, he'll work as a group. But for the most part, I want to know that if I decide to go do option A instead of option B, that there's going it's going to somehow affect the world around me. And I feel like sometimes that's not the case. And uh, nothing wrong. Like I said, there, my my DM did a great job, but it was so much on rails that no matter what kind, if I tried to start a fire at an end, the result was the same. Mm-hmm. Like no guards attacked me. I didn't get arrested, you know, things like that. Never, there was never consequences. And so for me, while I don't mind railroad adventure, uh, railroady uh, adventures, having an adventure where your decisions don't have an impact isn't fun. No. Um, but in the same token, don't try to, compensate for your players who want this big open sandbox world by trying to literally come up with 10 things because you're going to put way more work on yourself and and it'll take time and effort and sometimes you don't need to put that much effort into it and you plan for 10 possible scenarios and they take the 11th anyways (laughs) because that's just what players do that's how they do it right Um, (laughs) so for me and i've said this before um i always like to to plan or to think big but start small so I may yes. have the idea there's going to be this, you know, huge epic quest, but it's still going to start in one location, right? one one tavern or one city or one dock or one ship or one temple or whatever, mm-hmm. one d- dungeon. And it's probably going to have maybe one or two NPCs. So the PCs will be there. Maybe the jailer will be there. Maybe the priest will be there. Maybe the bartender will be there. That's where it's going to start. That's all I need to start the game. And then when the players start making decisions and I can, I can sprinkle in suggestions like, yeah, there's... There's worry there might be a war. These two countries over here, if that happens, it's going to impact trade. Oh, there's rumors that, you know, children have gone missing in this 
uh, a village over here. And then as the players, you know, make choices, they seem more interested in the children being missing. Okay, let's create some NPCs. One of those NPCs knows something about the war. And they start to make decisions based off of what their characters know, and it means more to them. So it's not like they can do anything, but they have a lot of options, and those options will be informed by what they've already done. And it's just easier for me to manage that. You know, I just, again, like you, I can't do 10 <laughs> major plot lines and just go. It's just not going to work. And there are some people that can do that, so all the power to them. Um, the one thing I, I, I would kind of like to talk on that note is um, one thing that I had a lot of success with is when I started a campaign, I had like 10 questions that I would ask um, the PCs that would put them in stupid situations just to see how they would react so that I could kind of predict the type of decisions that they would make. And it might be as something as stupid as, um, you know, you've got, uh, oh, here's a good one. There's uh, two different fires. And in one fire in a tavern is where your your spouse is, right? And she's on fire. And in the other end of the the, the, the city, your house is burning. Your house is burning down, and your mother is inside. You can only save one. Who are you going to save? Stupid questions like that. And then I would give them a reason to justify it. Okay, well, why would you do that? And it might be a stupid answer along the lines of, "Well, I can always get another spouse. Spouse, I only got one mother, so I'm going to go save her." You know. Yeah. But you could you could really gauge a lot about what the players' decisions that they would take. Uh, in those situations, which um, I recommend to everyone, if you can come up with some some questions to ask them, you can learn a lot from that. One, I kind of learned that through the years, but I, once again, going back to that first session, I wish I would have known that stuff then, you know? I, I came up with something uh, similar to that, and I don't remember any of the questions now except for one, but I had like, it was like 10 or 12 questions, and it, everyone had to, you know, choose. It, this was like a multiple choice type of thing. The only question I actually remember, it was you're fighting someone like a, 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 a crap, a nemesis. So this mm -hmm. is like someone you don't like and they lose their weapon. Do you A, stab them while you got the chance? B, let them pick up their weapon? You know, I had like different options for how you would handle that situation if you were suddenly fighting your main bad guy unarmed. You know, what, what type of person did they see themselves uh, most of my players said stab them while they didn't have a <laughs> That's pretty much how things work. That, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, let's go ahead and move on. I still think there's probably a lot we could talk about there, but you know, we, we have some about a limited time. Right, so right. It's, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Justin, where have your fingers been? Um. <laughs> I'm supposed to sing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was just sort of the lead-in. So for anyone who <laughs> might be new, who doesn't know what we're doing here, this is another improv game. It's called Where Have My Fingers Been? There's a little song that we're going to sing, and then we're going to create a scene based on prompts from the other one where we have characters that are talking to each other. Uh, the idea is to try to have a beginning, middle, and end. I rarely get there, uh, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. So once again, Justin, you are the guest. Do you want to start? Uh, receiving the prompt, or do you want to give the prompt first? Um, I'll go ahead and uh, give the prompt first. Okay. Mostly because I forgot the the beat to the song, so <laughs> you, can, you can remind me of that. Um, now it's generally just a, a place in a setting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I mean, generally we have at least two characters. Like, I, I'm really not good enough to do more than two. I know Scott likes to bring in the third, which I always sound <laughs> funny. But usually, you have like two people in a situation, in a scene, in a place, uh, you know, it's like you're a businessman, a fireman, and you're on the space station, you know, okay. it's just sort of like normal improv stuff. But once again, I try to 
try to connect it back to something we talked about in the show earlier, but it doesn't always work. Okay. So, so where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are in a trench in a mass war and you're out of your weapons are broken. You have no rations left and you're sitting with your ex-girlfriend. Son of a goblin. <laughs> and that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I cheat. You did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Justin, sing the song, my friend. Where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been? You were in the opposite trench. Hearing two lovers quarrel about their stuff being broken. <laughs> All right, Billy, can you hear that crap? Uh, no. Are you sure? Listen, reminds me of home. Oh my God. I dated her. <laughs> What's she like? She's a doppelganger. That's all I got. <laughs> and that's where your fingers have been. And that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for playing our reindeer games. Uh, I don't know why people enjoy those so much. I think it's because we make ourselves look stupid. Apparently we double cheated. We did. Well, I know I cheated 100%. But uh, I think you, you made a lot more effort. I don't know if you got further than me, but you tried harder than me. <laughs> Uh, so we'll move into the last part of the show. This is cryptozoology, and this is where we talk about a monster, generally from D&D, &D, but not always. Uh, some of the ways we've used these monsters in the past, maybe brainstorm some ways that we could use them in the future. Once again, Justin, you are the guest. Do you have a monster you want to talk about? I do. I love zombies. Zombies. Zombies are one of my favorite monsters, um, mainly, if, uh, mainly because... Despite having a, a, a stat block, there's no real restriction on what can be a zombie. Really, anything with some that can be that lived at one point can become a uh, become a zombie. And because of that, I can do a lot of I can introduce a lot of different uh, zombies and mix them and create these really uh, intricate uh, combat scenarios. And some not quite as interesting, like. Uh, one of the more uh, recent ones we did um, was a suggestion from, a, I think it was from a listener on our show, and we talked about it, uh, where you have zombies, because, you know, they don't require, you know, food and drink and, and breath for all that, so you can do a lot of stupid things with them, like stuffing them up into, like, trap doors in the ceiling, and then, like, raining the undead zombies from above as they, they, they plow down on top of uh, or your heroes. Or uh, setting them in a room and let them wander loose where buzz traps can come out because even if they get chopped in half, they can still, you know, kind of crawl across the ground and, you know, try to bite your ankles like a chihuahua. And um, I really, I really get a lot, a, a lot of use out of zombies. And I think that they are one of the, in my opinion, one of the most versatile enemies uh, in the DMG because of that. Um, do you, what do you think about zombies? Uh, I have used them sparingly. Uh, I'm not necessarily all in on the zombie phenomenon currently. <laughs> but I do think they make interesting enemies. But what I've normally found is that once the characters are, you know, second, third, even fourth level, zombies start to lose some of their <laughs> way for it. Bite, if you will. <laughs> because the thing about zombies in like the, you know, the, the media is that one bite, you're infected, you're dead. Uh -huh. And that's not how D&D &D works unless you're making a specific like this is a cursed object or a poison or something like that. 
So then it just sort of comes down to a war of attrition. Like, okay, I knocked it down once. Now I got to knock it down again. It's got to make a saving throw. Oh, it made the saving throws back up. So how do you keep zombies an intense encounter when you're dealing with abstract combat, hit points, and armor class in like a D&D game? So uh, the first thing, if you if I want them bigger and, and, and stronger, I'll usually just take another monster and give it the undead features. But what I like to do with my zombies the most is make them delivery systems. Because sometimes the heroes need something easy to cut through before they get to the medium counters. Because, you know, sometimes it's good to have easy encounters sometimes. Mm -hmm. And zombies are a good way to do that. But by making them a delivery system for, in, in the back of the DMG, there is just a plethora of poisons and diseases. And there's nothing from stopping you from adding those effects to, uh, to the monsters. In fact, uh, I mentioned earlier that one of, uh, I've got some monster variants that are coming into uh, this uh, Monsters of the Guild book. And one of them is the Cackling Zombie. And basically, I took the cackle fever. Now, on their own, the zombies aren't very strong. They just, you know, they do their little thing. And the, the heroes are none the wiser. They do some con saves. They move on. And I think it's like days later, they now, or is it days later, hours later? I don't remember. They're affected by this cackling fever, which potentially can spread to like an entire village or an entire town, which makes that monster, though it wasn't strong and it wasn't dangerous in and of itself, now becomes a huge plot point for the uh, the adventure um and i love to do little things like that whether it's the cackling fever or the uh or some of my own creation but that's where i get the most out of them because yeah they, you're right they're uh for the most part they're they're relatively weak and sometimes it's it's oh the adventures need to be able to just slaughter through stuff but if you can just slide that little disease or poison or uh, uh alternate effect into their body because really there's no reason why a necromancer wouldn't be experimenting with these these critters and 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 trying Trying different things you know i had one where they had you know magic sigils on them which basically was just fireball so when they died they blew up that's that's what they did um the zombie itself isn't going to know isn't going to care because it's a stupid creature and because of that i can do a, a, a lot with that you know chasing you know heroes through swamp bogs and everything like that and they're constantly uh on the hike when these things are being constantly raised back from the dead yeah, they can cut through them quick, but when you start to send hordes and hordes at these things, you know, the heroes can cut and get the, the joy out of massacring these things. But if you keep sending them, eventually they got to come up with a new tactic. And that that's personally why I, I like them. I attach spells to them, poisons to them. And because of that, I find that it makes my combat so, so, so much enjoyable for me, at least. So I guess my, my question uh, about that, because I, I do like that a lot. But usually those are most effective when the players at least know that. So if they know that when we fight this zombie, it's going to explode, that puts a fear into them like, oh, we can't mm -hmm. just kill the zombies because they're going to explode. But if they don't know that and they're just fighting zombies and it explodes, then it's sort of like it's it's not really it's it's not scary because it's unexpected. Now, assuming they survive that and now there's, they've got 12 more zombies so I can see that one working better, but like the cackling disease specifically, uh, to me, they would be a much better encounter if they know one bite and we might get infected with this disease, which means we, we may not be able to go back into civilization. And that entire encounter is so much more tense. And I think that's where skill checks become important. For instance, for that one, I allowed a medicine check to determine if they recognize, because they knew immediately that these were different because they're going, <laughs> you know, they were cackling. Yeah. And it's like, that, 
give me a medicine check. You think that sounds familiar? Um, you recall reading this in um, some old dusty tomb when you were studying whatever you were medicine thing you were doing, and you think that this is a common symptom of this. So, and that that's honestly what I use skill checks for mostly uh, when it comes to stuff like that, because I feel like all the adventurers who have unique skills should be able to determine some of that stuff. Same thing with the arcane rune. Um, the rune is is clearly displayed, so I would ask for an arcana check. You recognize that that is a, a sigil for, you know, a, a spell storing or something, and the, it could be harbor, uh, holding some sort of powerful spell in it. Right. Um, and that's how I, that's honestly how I would relay that information to my players with just outright saying it or without them having to necessarily discover it first. Right. So um, Targris had mentioned, he said, it's a surprise the first time it's scary later. And I totally agree with that. But like in most movies, that's what those NPCs are for. <laughs> you know, they, it's like Indiana Jones. You know, a couple of the uh, followers got killed to show how dangerous it was. Mm-hmm. So you, you need somebody that you can kill with a blown up zombie so that they now know, oh, oh God, these are blow up zombies. I mean, right. I think the way you handled it with skill checks works as well. Uh, but I do think that, like having some way for it to affect someone else first. So maybe they come into the village and there's a, you know, uh, was it victim zero or whatever? Victim zero. What, what is it? Uh, patient zero. So there's a there's a person that's that's starting to cackle. They're sick. They got a fever. You start to notice that there's other people around them that are starting to you know show signs of this illness, and then they go into the woods. And yes, there's a horde of zombies that are making that same sound. I, I think that's more effective to to start off the game with tension, mm-hmm. without them having to figure it out in the middle. But I mean, either way, obviously can work. Yeah. And. The, when I originally came up with this for my adventure, the goal was that I wanted them – heroes always expect um, the end of the, the adventure to have the hardest challenge. Mm-hmm. And I decided I wanted to put the hardest challenge at the beginning of the adventure. So the best way to do that was to delay the effects, which in this encounter, the zombies were the first thing they ran into. And they went in. They slayed the necromancer like it was nobody's business. And they just walked away with that – was, that was too <laughs> – Yeah. What the hell was that? You know, <laughs> um, what's really what's really funny is to watch the players when they fail that save and you don't say nothing about it for right, a while. Yeah. Oh, you failed. OK, make a note of that for me, please, <laughs> <laughs> because then you don't you know, like for for us, it ended the session, uh, them defeating the necromancer and one of them failed. And as we ended it, uh, a, a little, you know hackle uh, kind of escapes your lips as you're about to go to bed. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? That's where we're going to stop for now. So the whole entire week, mm-hmm. the, the players were like, what the hell happened? <laughs> nice. So a couple times that I have used zombies, I think somewhat effectively, uh, there was a, a probably the longest campaign I played in fourth edition. There was this uh, abandoned village, had a, had a temple in it, a lot of crazy stuff going on. And uh, basically it had almost like a sort of like a magical force field. That like once you went in, you weren't able to come back out. So you were trapped inside there until you figured out the MacGuffin. So, you know, there's a there's a back and forth where they figured this out. One person went in and they couldn't come back out. And everyone eventually had to decide to go in because they're a party and blah, blah, blah. Uh, mm-hmm. So they go in the temple and there's just blood and guts and dead bodies everywhere. And it just looks awful. And uh, they notice that almost all of the bodies have their hands cut off at the wrist. And not That's near the cool. altar, there was a basket that seemed to be wiggling, you know, just sort of shifting. <laughs> and, yes, it was a clawing claw or whatever crawling claws horde that came pouring out and was like going in That's their awesome. mouths and poking their eyes and it was it was pretty effective i like that one a lot and then i also had an, a, um, a scenario where they were in a 
in a graveyard that was, you know, being imbued with necrotic energy and it was causing the bodies to rise. So they go in there and they start slaughtering them. Well, then the pieces start to form like umber versions, like transformers, like constructicons. So <laughs> oh, like, you know, awesome. two arms of this one and a leg of that one, and a head of this one starts making this weird sort of shambling monster. <laughs> and they, until they got rid of the necrotic energy, the zombies kept coming back. Right, right. That's so awesome. Um, with your permission, I would love to use the hands and the claws as an encounter of our podcast because I think sure. that is that is awesome and it's is creepy as hell. Yeah, you, you got to set it up with mentioning that all the hands are oh, gone, yep. and then like, that's, that's really good. That's weird. Yeah, yeah, that really sets it up. Even you just talking about it, it's like, man, that would be like creepy because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't. Now that I think back, I don't think I do a whole lot with dismemberment stuff like that very often. So that really, that's very cool. Cool. I'd be happy for you to use that. Hopefully someone on your show that doesn't listen to mine will get some use from it because that's why we're all here. Right. For sure. For sure. All right. So anything else about zombies? Again, you said you could talk for hours. Oh, um, yeah. I love, I love any, zombies. <laughs> any like uh, plans for the future? Like do you have a zombie encounter in your pocket you're waiting to use? I always want to do a zombie catapult. I'll be honest, because getting enemies behind enemy lines is always a trick. Unless they're, you know, it's higher level and they can fly. But having a necromancer that just has catapults that are launching zombies <laughs> into, into, into villages and stuff is just hilarious. Zombie cows. <laughs> Maybe zombie cows. Zombie cows. I will, uh, I will look into that. <laughs> the milk that comes out like it's all green and yeah. stanky. <laughs> all righty. So let's wrap up the show there. Uh, we like to do at the end is we open up to like questions and answers. If, you know, we got a few people that have been hanging out with us in chat. If there's anything oh, sure. that you would like to ask myself or Justin, it doesn't have to be about the show. It can be about anything. Um, yeah. but we know there's a little bit of a delay. So while we're waiting for that to catch up, Justin, tell people where you can, uh, you can be found your show, yourself, the internet, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, yes. Um, uh, you can find our show on iTunes and whatever platform of choice you choose. Um, you can visit our website at critacademy.com. There we have, uh, access to, um, you can find our show notes and a, a link to our Patreon page that has like all the stat blocks that I've made. Um, we have, um, we have a tool section. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of trying to make DM's life's, uh, easier so all the tools that i've basically that i've used or i found useful you, you can actually find a little link there that goes to like amazon and stuff um for better to in, improve your uh, game um, but yeah we're on most uh most platforms uh, you can find us on youtube i i don't i don't really curate that very well since i'm mostly a podcast but you can it's mostly just a it's not a a live video though our patrons actually get to watch our show live which is was was a, a lot of fun um so uh yeah so you can head on over to critacademy.com you can visit me and we're actually part of a a, a a fellowship of the web ring of crit nation where we've got other people with similar uh, ha uh likes and similar content uh creators and you can visit them as well so all right very very cool so we did have one question so far that came in this is from targris uh what's your favorite zombie film do you want to answer that question first? Or no, me? go right ahead. Jeez, um, that's a that's a good question. I don't know that I have a favorite. I love like the army, army, uh, uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. God, it's been so long. I'm getting old. I haven't seen that stuff in forever. Um, I like Walking Dead. Um, I haven't watched all of it. Um, 
uh, <laughs> sadly, my friends give me a hard time about it, but Walking Dead's probably good, uh, probably the, probably say the, the good one, the best one, I think, in my opinion. I, but I can't go wrong with the original Resident Evil movie. Uh, I love the Resident Evil movie. <laughs> uh, again, being someone who isn't necessarily a big zombie person, like I don't have anything against them. I just, you know, I don't, right. I don't love them. Um, I remember really being freaked out by 28 Days Later. Oh, that was good. That, You're right. Like that was the first fast zombie, which I, those really weren't <laughs> yeah, zombies, yeah. but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I thought that was well done. It definitely gave me sort of the creeps. I remember nearly crying when I first put in Resident Evil 4 and I was on the stupid boat and it was at one of those little options where you're, you're okay, pff, I'm done. I can just take a break and then something tried to eat me and I'm just like, man. <laughs> Love stuff like that. Nice. Uh, so Beef Griller asked, uh, this is for me specifically, when will the next GM Masterclass series begin? Uh, are you familiar with the GM Masterclass? Do you know what that is, Justin? Um, I think I've listened to one, but since I'm working, I can't. I think only one came up. Like I told you earlier, that random playing. Mm-hmm. I, so I don't know which ones I've listened to and which ones are not. But so this um, that one's doing. all about like GM uh, tips, right? Well, it's it's like an audio commentary to an existing actual play. So we oh, okay. we actually listen to an actual play. And then we stop it and talk about like what the mm-hmm. GM just did and why they did it, that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems to be going over really well. People seem to really enjoy it. So I don't have a good answer for you yet. Uh, originally, the plan was we were going to do both of the, the Legend of the Five Ring games. So Jim McClure, same GM. We we're going to do them back to back. Then I started thinking that it might be better to bring in a different GM to kind of divvy up because you know jim mm-hmm. gave some amazing advice but is the second series going to be that much different than the first series now i think it will be because i actually went back and listened to the second uh, session and i do think there will be some different conversations so i've kind of put the ball back into jim's court if he wants to do the next one right away mm-hmm. or if he wants me to fill in with someone else so i'm just waiting on him to decide and i mean i, I just asked him like four hours ago so it's not like it's a long time uh but once i know if he wants to do it we'll start scheduling it but by the time we schedule it, record it, edit it, and get it released, it's probably going to be two or three months at minimum before the next one will come out. So uh, probably summertime, early, like late spring, early summer is probably when the next one will come out. All right. Uh, one question we like to ask most people, and I can remember to ask them, if you were an action figure, what would your three accessories be? Oh, snap. Batman's uh, utility belt. Does that, does that count as one? What? Sure. Um uh kryptonite okay because <laughs> you never know never know <laughs> um and then a boomerang because why or not? the battering specific <laughs> uh, because why not that's just awesome it always comes back to you even when you miss i'll take it yeah actually it only comes back to you when you miss that's one thing most comics get wrong about boomerangs <laughs> like if you miss it comes back if you hit it stops because it <laughs> hit something <laughs> like I, I can just see myself you know all tied up the bad guys got me and i'm just like boomerang come back <laughs> <laughs> please please come back uh, all right, so, all right we'll pause for just a couple more seconds uh to see if any other questions come in um while that's waiting i'll thank you once again for hanging out with us i really appreciate it uh, thanks for having me absolutely our pleasure i hope people will go out and check out your show and hopefully they like it and they'll get more content, more things they can use. Cause that's, again, that's why we're all here and that's what we're trying to right. do. And you're scheduled to come on the show on May 4th, I think, or January. Yeah. Originally I was supposed to come on earlier and then I, I had an issue and you were very kind to let me yeah. push that back. So thank you for that. Uh, we're going yeah, to talk about prepping for games, right? Yes. 
Yes, on March 4th. Now, my, my show is recorded ahead of time, like three weeks out. Um, so it won't release until the end of March, like mm-hmm. the 28th maybe. Um, but uh, hopefully uh, everyone will will enjoy uh, enjoy having you on. I'm really excited to have you on because the more I listen to, to into your content, I realize you, you've got so much experience <laughs> and I, I, I want to – I want to pick your brain. <laughs> well, I, I've got a lot of people fooled. I'll, I'll just say that. So. Awesome. You have a very high deception check. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that's it for the questions. Uh, again, thank you everyone for who was in chat. I say this every week, but when we have people in chat, it just makes the show so much better. I love the interaction. I love just reading what you are saying to each other because right. that keeps me entertained. I love Dangerous Fusion. Always throws in the emojis. I was going to say, what's going on in there? I don't, I don't get none of that. <laughs> I, I don't either. Uh, okay. Dangerous Fusion. Don't know who that person is, but they started hanging out with us maybe a month, month and a half ago. They've never put anything in but emojis. They always relate to what we're talking about. I don't even know how to use emojis. I don't know how that works, but it cracks me up because I just think it's so <laughs> awesome. So I'm, I'm always glad I, when that person is hanging out with us. Yeah, I get the clapping and I get the thumbs up the rest of it's just like it's alien speak yeah we were talking about like zombies and there was like uh, like a the skull symbol at one time and uh, you know all kinds of crazy stuff so if you if you yeah. if you watch oh. it it kind of relates to what we're talking about i got it and That's then we have awesome. our regulars new york tater targris beef griller uh not another nathan those are uh people who are usually with us but we we hope we'll continue to grow and i guess actually i should mention this before we go we are currently having a twitch uh contest uh, once we get to 500 followers, we're about 250 right now. We're going to give a copy of the D, uh, the new D and D rules cyclopedia away. It, it just has a new version now on drive through RPG. It's a print on demand service. Okay. I got my copy. It's awesome. I, I really like it. So once we get to 500, we'll randomly pick one of the 500 on, on like the next show and I'll send you a free copy of that book. So we need another 250, uh, beef grill. Yes. Uh, Dangerous fusion is on YouTube. Um, Again, I have the combination, so I can see the comments from both. But yeah, on YouTube, lots of emoji stuff. It's good. It's good time. So, <laughs> all right. So we do our awkward wave out while I look for the button, and I always try not to laugh when I say that. So. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast 
at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>